Welcome. You are listening to the Fat and Furious podcast. In this podcast series, your host, Steve Bennett, father of seven, best-selling author and adventurer, will be joined by 23 of the world's most forward-thinking medical professionals, doctors, authors, and top nutritionists, where he'll share the truth behind living healthier and happier for longer. In this episode, I'll be talking to Dr. Patrick Holford. He's a leading spokesman on nutrition in the media, and he specializes in the field of mental health. He's the author of 40 books, which has been translated into over 30 languages worldwide. He has literally sold millions and millions of copies. Some of his best known books, The Optimum Nutrition Bible, is hugely famous on a global scale. And one of my favorite books I've ever read is The 10 Secrets of 100% Healthy People. Patrick is the founder of the Food for the Brain Foundation and a director of the Brain Bio Center. Now, the Brain Bio Center is a treatment center that specializes in helping those with mental health issues, ranging from depression to schizophrenia. In 1984, he founded the Institute for Optimum Nutrition, an independent educational charity with his mentor, the twice Nobel Prize winner, Dr. Linus Pauling, acting in the role as patron. Patrick, thank you for joining us again. A pleasure. Thoroughly enjoyed the first session. Uh, we talked a lot about uh, your book, The Hybrid Diet. I've actually got one more question later in this hour about this diet. So I'm going to ask you, give you a chance now to think about it. A tricky question, which is the better of the two diets? We'll come to that a little bit later. Uh, but for those that didn't catch the first show, give us an introduction to yourself, where we're at. And in that introduction, throw in a little bit about your expertise around the brain and intelligence and happiness and all those things. Yeah, I mean, that was my original interest. You know, what's life all about? We all think about that. What, you know, what do we want? What makes us happy? What's what's the ultimate experience a human can have? And uh, that's uh, how I got into nutrition, because the more I studied the brain, the more, and this is back in the late 70s, the more obvious it became that the brain consumes more nutrients than anything else. And uh, in the early 80s, when I set up the Institute for Optimum Nutrition, uh, one of my students was a um, schoolmaster, headmaster of a secondary school in, in Wales. And we devised an experiment, this is in the early 80s, where we took 90 school kids and we put a third onto a high-strength vitamin and mineral supplement. We didn't know about essential fats in those days so much and we put a third onto a dummy pill that looked identical and a third onto nothing and we measured their IQ. Uh, so our proposition was that vitamins could affect your IQ. Now back in the early 80s that was an outrageous idea <laughs> and uh, we thought we'd get slaughtered for it yeah. so we didn't actually run the study ourselves. We got a professor of psychology called Professor David Benton University of Swansea, who thought that we were nuts. There's no way that a simple vitamin pill is going to change your IQ. So he ran the study, it was very well designed, and we approached BBC um, at Horizon, uh, say, you know, this is our proposition, would you like to film it? So they filmed it and they said, if it doesn't work, you'll be, you know, exposed as a fraud, so to speak, <laughs> and you know, whatever. And at the end of the seven months when they cracked the code, uh, we'd had an increase of 10 points on what's called the nonverbal IQ on the vitamins, wow. three points on the placebo, uh, so a seven point difference. And that would get half of all children classified as special educational needs back into the normal category. So it's a oh my big effect. Yeah. And it hit every major newspaper, every major you know, TV news. I mean, the next day, literally every single vitamin supplement in shops sold out. <laughs> and we were attacked by the doctors and the dietitians. Course, yeah. It's not proper research. And actually, two days later, it came out as published in the Lancet Medical Journal. And there was nothing wrong with the research. So I'll tell you one thing. In my career in nutrition, I... Um, so what, what vitamins were you giving the children that saw Well, the it increase? was a mixture. It was vitamin C, B vitamins, you know, zinc, magnesium, minerals, and so on. And funnily enough, I did meet a professor of psychiatry who said, this is a useless study. 
We don't know what did it. Was it the B1 or the B2 or the vitamin C or whatever? <laughs> and, and since then, yeah. studies have looked at the individual nutrients right. and none of them have worked. It's the combination. It's the combination. Yeah. And if you were to say, you know, what do you think really made the difference? I'd say it's probably the B vitamins involved in methylation. This is, we have um, every day, we have uh, about a billion methylation reactions every two seconds. And so, for example, if suddenly a stress, fire alarm goes off, how do you make adrenaline? By methylation. You eat a biscuit, you make some insulin. How do you make insulin? By methylation. So your body is always making these different chemicals and adjusting, which is done by methylation. Methylation depends on B vitamins, particularly B6, B12, folate. And uh, there's a blood test called homocysteine. If it's high, you're not doing methylation well. If it's low, you are. Now in Sweden, they've gone into schools, measured the homocysteine level, uh, measured the school grades, and they can predict the children with the highest school grades just by knowing the homocysteine level. That is yeah. fascinating. So Why don't we know all this stuff? It's true. So, I'm a dad of seven children. Why yeah, don't I know yeah, this? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, bright kids, <laughs> you yeah. want your homocysteine level down. So even something like IQ, which, you know, in those days, you're just sort of born with it. You know, you're either smart or you're not, and that's the way it goes. Uh, we learned that that's not true. So throughout my career, I have always and continue to underestimate the power of nutrition. You know, as you go, wow, I had no idea that could have such a big effect. And uh, of course, you know, the World Health Organization say oh, the biggest problem we face is mental illness. Depression on the increase, Alzheimer's on the increase, ADHD, you know, all of these, all of these problems. Um, suicide rate very up in cities and young people. Um, so I'm still very focused on what is it that's driving our decline in mental health. Yeah, a doctor said to me the other day who's very up on you know, current thinking and where we are, he said, Steve, I think a high percentage of those labels they put on kids at school, mm. and one of mine, uh, Tom, uh, for a year had one of those labels, you know, the ADHDs and, and so on, the bipolars and all these things. He said, I'm pretty convinced nearly all these new things that we've come to recognise in the last 30, 40 years, especially with children, are all... all mainly down to a lack of the B vitamins. I don't know how true that might be. Well, or... I think that you've got this, if you have a lack of the B vitamins um, and you have the lack of omega-3, um, um, particularly from fish and fish oils, uh, you know, which is so important for building the brain, and you have too much sugar, uh, which actually is an addictive compound, and you have all the tech addiction, which is the like button, so you, you after an instant reward, and Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, whatever it happens to be, if you, if you put all of that together, then I think you really start to make a sort of addicted, messed up brain that is going for instant gratification. Right. Uh, you know, it's, it's sold to us as happiness, the happy meal, the happy hour, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It's not really happiness. It's, it, it fills the reward system of the brain. It's pleasure rather than happiness. It's pleasure rather than happiness. Yeah. And it, it works on dopamine. And eventually when your dopamine is depleted, um, you've got no joy. So uh, every, all learning, uh, so I've got you know, a grandchild, you say, what's that? It's a pig, what noise is it made? All that learning is, you know, the reward is dopamine. When you run out of dopamine, there's sort of no meaning of life. You, you just think there's, I don't see any point. So uh, what we've got now is, you know, young people committing suicide who are not starving. You know, they're not broke. You know, they're not in a war. I'm not saying their circumstances are great, but what I'm saying is that there's yes. not a good enough reason yes. to actually kill yourself. Yes. But if you depress that dopamine, you yes. just, you can't see any point of living. And then the serotonin comes down as well, you know, which is very much linked to, to happiness. So I do think that all those are going on. And also, of course, all of this is like instant gratification. And in the same way, I'm not, you know, against tech, you know, because obviously it's terribly useful, but we expect an instant, you know, thing. Yeah. So, of course, that makes for very short attention spans. And if you're at home and, you, you know, you're gaming and you're looking this up and you're posting and you're WhatsApping and, you know, it's all very, very fast. And then you go to school um, where you're meant to sit down calmly, you know, and process some maths equation or write an essay, whatever. It's like a sort of 
you know, it's not how. So yeah. some of the ADHD, you yeah. know, is just yeah. that we've we've learned to get everything, you know, very very Instant. fast, very short. Uh, and back to the yeah. interruption, I read some research yeah. about two years ago that said yeah. they believe our children's generation that are addicted to the mobile phone will have an IQ eventually ten points lower than the generation before because that inability to focus on anything for long. Whereas yeah, you and yeah. I will read a book and probably yeah. you know, before we know it, we've spent an hour without yeah, stopping. Yeah. Yeah. The children, every 10 seconds or a minute, the phones yeah, bleep yeah. in, the next Facebook things come in. So their inability to concentrate on anything they believe will drop the IQ you know, considerably. Well, uh, Scandinavian research shows that we're losing about 7% IQ per generation. So wow. I think this is true. Isn't that and, uh, and, you know, we're living on sugar and caffeine and tech and, you know, it's like we've gone from homo sapiens to homo fatians to homo caffians and now homo appians, you know. It's, <laughs> and, and You're actually, scaring me, by the way. You keep saying caffeine, caffeine, and I like my three or four cups a day. Yeah. How bad is my coffee? Into well, I mean, the thing is, you know, coffee gives you energy uh, like a bank loan gives you wealth. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right? So it will give you a kick. Uh, but then you will be more tired, and that's why you need another one. So in studies that take people who consume no caffeine and measure their alertness on waking, they're here. They then look at someone who has a coffee in the morning. They're down here. When they have their coffee, they're here. Right. So, so, so basically, back to where well, it would yeah, have been exactly. normally. Coffee cures the withdrawal effects of coffee. Right. Um, and the danger is to use it you know, more and more and more and more. However, um, what we learned, uh, you know, in the hybrid diet is that actually you can, uh, it, it can help you get into ketosis, so switch from carbs to fat uh, in the short term. Yeah, when I did my yeah. extended fast like I'm yeah. on right now, um, yeah, day six right now, um, I've used the coffee, the tea and lots of water. Yeah. And I don't know whether it's because of that or because yeah. I'm quite good at burning fat. Yeah. That, that I haven't really noticed the lack of food. But. Well, you see, that's the other thing. There are some, I mean, one double espresso will raise your homocysteine level by 14%. That was the, the thing that measures methylation. Right, okay. Um, so that's kind of like a link to more dementia. Not good news. <clears throat> However, you read studies showing actually less risk you know, of people who have lots of coffee. And I think the one thing that I'm not sure has been controlled for is that some people use coffee rather than sugar. Right. Yeah. To give them energy. Yeah. Other people, when they're tired, they have sugar. Yeah. So it might be better to use coffee rather than sugar. But the ideal in any circumstance is not be using anything um, that you would have a withdrawal effect from if you stopped. Right, sure. So if you quit mm -hmm. coffee and yeah. you feel lousy for two or three days with yeah. pounding headaches, whatever, 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 you know that you've pushed your system a little too far. Now, if you don't have this sort of addictive relationship with coffee and you do need a burst of energy at some particular moment in time, you've, it can work very well. Got you. That's really good advice. You know? But yeah. if you overuse it, you, you actually all you're doing is getting yourself back to you know, where you would be without it. That's fascinating. Thank you very, very much. Right, I've got some questions that I wrote down uh, before the show uh, that we ran out of time on our first hour. Uh, I read uh, in, in uh, The Hybrid Solution about, and it fascinated me, uh, about the Minnesota Coronary Experiment of 2017. Can you yeah, recall yeah. what you wrote on that? And yeah, no, I mean, that, that yeah. was a very controlled study of 9,000 people. I think it was done in the late 1960s or early 1970s, but... Basically, they, they took people in a mental health institution and they um, swapped out the saturated fat. They cut it down dramatically. I mean, I think considerably less than half. And they actually gave them polyunsaturated fats instead. And that was right at the time when Ansel Keys was the guy who was developing the notion that fat you know, is what causes heart disease. Mm -hmm. And they found absolutely no difference. It didn't save any lives. There was no reduction in cardiovascular disease, whatever. But they didn't publish it. And it didn't get published until, you know, 2017. And, um, yeah. It's, it's frightening, it's, isn't it? I spoke to it Nina yeah. Teicholtz recently, yeah, and yeah. her whole book is about that. The whole book is almost like a novel it reads, but it's yeah. a true story about, you know, America 
mainly America, from yeah. getting yeah. it wrong with Ansel Keys right up to date. Yeah, yeah. And I think one of the, that was one of the ones she, she quoted. But yeah. they just, every time they did research to back up that hypothesis that cholesterol is yeah. bad and saturated yeah, fat yeah. is bad, every time they spent millions doing the research, it always came back and said, no, that's not the case. Yeah. So they just buried the research. Exactly. Isn't that yeah. frightening? And of course, what happened when we dropped fat is you've got to eat something. So we got more carbs. So when you buy a low-fat food, it's a high-carb food. And, you know, it was a classic error. Exactly the wrong thing to do. But we did it yeah. and paid the price. We are paying the, well, we are paying the price as a, yeah. as a nation right now, yeah. aren't we? You know, yeah. Obesity and yeah. cancer rates and so on. Um, uh, in all the interviews so far, nobody's mentioned uh, HbA1c. Right, uh, yeah. I thought because, uh, I'm reading this by the way for those that are yeah. listening, not watching, yeah. uh, I thought because uh, your explanation was so brilliant yeah. in the book, can you explain HbA1c sure, to the audience? Sure. Your, your, your blood sugar is glucose and uh, you know if you go see a doctor and they're a bit worried, they might give you a glucose pinprick and measure your glucose level and of course it's going to change. So if you have a can of coke, it's going to go up. So it is one point in time. But what happens is that Every time your blood sugar level goes too high, in effect, when you eat sugar, your blood sugar level goes up, body produces insulin, insulin takes the sugar out of the blood. If you need to use it, you do, but all the excess goes into storage as fat. Then your blood sugar goes down. That makes you tired and hungry. So if you're getting fat and tired and hungry, fat, tired and hungry, you've got a blood sugar that's doing this. Mm -hmm. Now, every time your blood sugar peaks too high, it actually damages your arteries and cells in your arteries. It damages red blood cells, for example. And you can count how many red blood cells has a person got damaged by sugar. And that's called glycosylated hemoglobin or sugar-coated or sugar-damaged red blood cells. And if the level is high, you know they've got a long-term blood sugar problem. Uh, although the measures are slightly different now in the UK, uh, the easiest way to explain it is if 7% or more of your red blood cells are sugar damaged, you've got diabetes. And if 5% uh, or less, then you, you're, you're in good nick. Mm -hmm. So it's a very good long-term measure because red blood cells live for three months. So you're seeing where it goes. But I'll tell you what's very interesting is that I've never bought into the whole idea that you eat, you know, eggs or you eat cholesterol and you get too much blood cholesterol and it thickens your arteries. That's, I mean, it's just not true. There's never really been any evidence of that. I've done so many studies feeding people eggs. You don't get the increase in cholesterol. You don't get the increase in heart disease. You see why I'm angry? Yeah. Don't you? Because yeah. You know, yeah. I was told yeah. not to eat eggs. I had yeah. high cholesterol. Stop eating yeah. eggs. Yeah. Stop eating yeah. prawns. Yeah. Two of the things that are the most healthy things yeah. we now find that yeah. you can eat. That's why I'm angry. Yeah. But here you, here's something you may or may not know. What happens is that um, this is not the, uh, in a, this is part of it. What happens is you do have cholesterol in your blood, and uh, and the interesting cholesterol is called LDL, low density lipoprotein, LDL cholesterol, the bad guy. And um, it, I always logically predicted that it would also become sugar damaged, glycosylate. And once sugar damaged, it doesn't look right. Now, roaming around your body always are immune cells on the look for things that don't look right. It could be a virus, it could be a cancer cell, or it could be a damaged cholesterol particle. And if it doesn't look right, they gobble it up. So, and when the immune cell gobbles up damaged cholesterol, sugar-coated, sugar-damaged cholesterol, um, it becomes called a foam cell. It's like a vacuum cleaner bag okay. full of damaged cholesterol. Okay. And that is exactly what you find in the blockages in arteries, in the atheromas. So a recent study took a group of people who'd had a heart attack um, to explore what was the cause, the primary cause of the heart attack. And they found the single biggest causative factor was sugar-damaged cholesterol, glycosylated LDL. Now it might appear as high cholesterol in the blood because it's sugar damage and it's got nowhere to go. But the mistake is saying it's the cholesterol that's the bad thing, when actually it was the sugar that damaged the cholesterol that then leads to it forming the atheroma. Now that's fascinating, isn't yeah. it? Because the so-called bad yeah. 
cholesterol LDL, mm. there is now research that says certainly when you get past a certain age, mm. the lower it is, the more likely you to die younger, the lower, not the higher. Yeah. So what you're saying is LDL itself isn't the bad guy. No. It's the fact that if you damage LDL by yeah. onslaught of sugar and yeah. you know, too much processed carbohydrates yeah. and so on, uh, that's the association all screwed up and wrong, basically. Yeah, that's true. And then actually, it turns out uh, uh, that some of the LDL, or lipoprotein as it's called, it's actually a kind of lipoprotein called lipoprotein A. And before Linus Pauling's death, who was my great teacher, the man with two Nobel Prizes, 48 PhDs, he was researching lipoprotein A um, as a cause for heart disease, which is now one of the hottest areas. So a lot of the LDL that's measured is actually lipoprotein A. And he developed an exquisite theory, and that was that um, we're designed to have lots of vitamin C, but humans have lost the ability to make it, other animals do. Do you believe we had it at some time? Oh yeah, I, absolutely. I think simply what happens, we were jungle-dwelling creatures um, with, a gorilla can eat two grams a day. Yeah. We were eating lots of fruits and berries and shoots. We, we could eat it. Right. We've all lost the ability to make B vitamins. Yeah. Do you reckon we used to make those as well? I don't know, but you know, if you eat, if you eat it, you don't need to. So yeah. if there is some genetic damage or mutation in some group where they lose the ability to make vitamin C. Vitamin C is made from sugar, glucose. So if they're eating enough vitamin C, suddenly um, they, they've got all this extra glucose for energy. So that damage, that mutation, that loss of the ability to make vitamin C would have conferred, this is a theory, advantage on that group of Primates. Got you. They've got more energy. Yeah. They can run faster, longer, etc., etc. Yeah. So gradually, it's their family line that become dominant until none of us can make vitamin C. I think that's probably what happened. And uh, the trouble is, we don't live in a jungle. Yeah. Uh, we live in a concrete jungle. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we struggle to get 100 milligrams while a gorilla will eat two grams. And here's something that I often ask, you know, my students: Do you know why we all need to supplement? And they'll say the soil isn't good and, you know, we don't choose the right foods and, you know, all of this stuff, which is true. But I actually think there's a much simpler and obvious answer to it. Um, and the answer is very simply, we don't eat enough. We eat a fraction of the calories that our ancestors ate before they were cars and fridges. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. So, you know, we talk about Mediterranean diet. I mean, yeah. the average guy living in Crete was walking seven miles a day. Right, right before you. cars and fridges. Yeah. And without fridges, all our food was fresh and organic, and we ate a lot more of it because we had to chop the wood and fetch the water, and you know, we moved around. And that, you know, organic whole food in probably three times the quantity provides a level of vitamins and minerals. So a recent study of the Royal Society of Medicine looked at what does a mid-Victorian worker's diet provide in the way of micronutrients. And it concluded that if you or I wanted to achieve even the level of essential fats, vitamins, vitamin C, whatever, a worker did in the Victorian age, we'd have to supplement or eat you know, two or three times the food. Wow, and I didn't know that at all. Yeah. And what is quite interesting, only a few weeks ago, I was doing some research and looking at some white papers that some studies about the entire population of the UK yeah. in that mid-Victorian period, because it was an excess of quality food from yeah. farming, that even what they used to class, horrible word, but peasants, but every class could afford yeah. great food back yeah. then. And the life expectancy, certainly of yeah. men, in 130 years ago, is now long, was longer then than it is today. Isn't that yeah. frightening? No, and it's often the life expectancy, you know, we talk about it having increased, but, it, you know, kids died young from infectious diseases. And, and what you really have to say is once someone's hit the age of 20, yep. you know, what's the life expectancy? And it is now, you know, going down. Yeah. So all, when I've been studying optimum nutrition, I say, what intake of zinc have we had throughout, you know, our long evolution? You know, what would we have been eating? What would we have been getting? Yeah. And then I say, how can I eat that today? And even, you know, I like to be as active as possible. Um, but, you know, I even cannot get to that level. Yeah. Because, you know, it's I, hard I to even open the trunk of your car these days. You know, everything's <laughs> like, you know, 
Every, you know, and there is in our, you see, I think eating is, is, is uh, you know, something we're all addicted to. Because if you're hungry, you want to eat. Exercise isn't. Uh, I mean, I know some people love exercise. They've got the habit and they get the endorphin rush and so on. But actually exercise doesn't, you know, you get hungry, you're going to eat. You don't exercise. There's not quite the same thing saying, mm-hmm. oh, I got it. You know, yeah. usually it's more we get fat yeah. <laughs> exercise. So an awful lot of people don't exercise yes. because they don't need to. Yes. They don't even need to get off the sofa. Yeah. You know, you just press the button and every new development means that you just don't have to expend any calories. Well, I said to my friend you the know. other day, I uh, met him at school. He's got yeah. a son that's at school with my son. Yeah. He used to be uh, the CEO of EasyJet. He's yeah. now the CEO of Just Eat. Yeah. And uh, I met him at the school. I said, how's life as a mass murderer? He said, what are you talking about? <laughs> I said, well, you're, you're probably yeah. a mass murderer now. He said, what are you talking about? I yeah, said, well, yeah. it's one thing that, you know, the food is poisoning us in packaged food. Yeah, it's yeah. another thing uh, that, that now you can have food delivered at home. You don't even have to go out to the supermarket yeah. anymore. But you're delivering at the time of night normally when my yeah. kids go, uh, oh, well, we've had dinner already, but a little bit hungry again. Press the button, and yeah. before you know it, I don't know, McDonald's or the Chinese takeaway arrives. I said, you're yeah, just yeah. delivering junk food at the completely wrong time of day. Yeah. And uh, there's, there's no, <laughs> where's the exercise? Like you say, you just yeah. sit on the sofa. Yeah, we don't need yeah. to move anymore. Yeah, so yeah. let me go back to that point then. So what you're saying is, because I'm one of those people that you just said have got it wrong, and you are right, I have yeah. got it wrong. Because I'm the one that says it's all because the soil's not producing. Yeah, yeah. You're saying there's probably an element of that. Yeah, there is. But it's mainly because we used to eat more because we were more active. So we were yeah. taking in more. Yeah. And therefore, we were getting more magnesium, more zinc, yeah, yeah, and more vitamins. Yeah. yeah and, and just look at it now. Our brain, you know, 10,000 years ago, uh, what, what nutrients was our brain getting 10,000 years ago? Why would our nutrient today need any less? That's the point. If we were eating 20 milligrams of zinc because of the kind of foods we ate, today we need 20 milligrams of zinc. Actually, in studies, 20 milligrams of zinc seems to be about the level, it's double the RDA, that equates to maximum brain function. Now, you could actually even argue in relation to the brain that we might need more, Mm -hmm. you know, because now we're just processing so much information. Sure. So certainly our brain's requirement of nutrients is not less. Yes. It's certainly the same, and it could even be more. Yes. So the question is very simply, how do you get that? Yeah. So sometimes you see studies that show that actually 10 servings of fruit and veg you know, equates to the lowest risk. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, if you're not exercising and you eat a lot of fruit today, mm-hmm. that's more sugar than you need because you're not burning it off. So it's, it's, it's technically true. You know, mm-hmm. 10 servings of fruit and veg might be where we should be at. But practically, we're going to gain weight because we're just not expending the calories. It's, it's amazing because yeah. I, I do take a zinc every day, and I hadn't really thought it through the way you've just said. Yeah. The one I had thought through was magnesium. Mm-hmm. So with magnesium, I did a lot of study. There's a book out yeah. there, uh, the, the Magnesium Miracle, talks about the 300 yeah. body functions that need yeah. it. So I then looked at, and I don't believe that the, the RDAs and the, the NVA, is it NVA? National? NRVs. NRV, yeah. sorry, and yeah. RDAs yeah. in America. I think they are like a minimum wage. I mean, it's just yes, like they are. they're just yeah. bottom rung. But I couldn't even get, and I needed yeah. all the right things that have magnesium in. For magnesium, I yeah. can't even get yeah. to the NRV by eating the foods that I know contain yeah. it. No, I mean, another one, uh, the, the, the brain to form needs omega-3s plus phospholipids. Uh, choline is the most important one, mm-hmm. plus the B vitamins. And the, the recommended level of choline is 400 milligram, which, may, which is not really worked out on brain function, so it might be higher than that. Uh, I supplement choline every day. I eat eggs. I tell people to have at least six eggs a week. Um, I tell people to have three servings of oily fish. Eggs and fish are a very good source. Uh, and there's a little bit in broccoli, and there's a little bit in nuts. Almonds particularly good. And uh, so I said, right, here I am, you know, a small handful of almonds, broccoli every day, I'll, I'll have one serving. Uh, plus all of that, am I achieving the requirement of choline? Barely, yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> and it's also very rich in, in organ meat. So you start, I mean, there was a lovely example, um, you know, because I'm living now in the Black Mountains of Wales. We've actually built a retreat center there. It's called Forest Barn Mountain Retreat. Okay. Four retreats. We can take about 22 people. 
and, and not just for my retreats. I'm doing retreats there, but you know. And these health retreats, people can come to and learn yeah, about nutrition. Yeah, or? and if if somebody's into yoga and wants to hire the place, and you know, but yeah. it's actually a place ultimately we've built for upliftment. It's very right. cool. It's got a hot tub. It's got Great. a steam room. It's got a teaching space, and it's in kind of raw nature. It's very where good. about Wales is this? It's um, it's it's uh, in the Black Mountains near Sugarloaf Mountain. It's actually only two and a half hours from London, you know, less from Birmingham. So it's the nearest bit of total wilderness. I can walk all day, see nobody. We have no light pollution. Brilliant. You know, we just got, you know, um, owls and, you know, it's amazing. But anyway, they find in Wales on the Gower Peninsula, this Homo sapiens, um, uh, 40,000 year old. And the story, I saw this on the BBC, is they're saying, you know, that the channel was actually more like a sort of river, it's, you know, the vast plains, we would have been out there hunting, you know, animals with spears, etc. But when they analyzed the bones, they found that a quarter of uh, this early Homo sapiens um, was, it was seafood. So, you know, when you realize that our ancestors were physically active all day long, collecting shells, fish, hunting, you know, gathering, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it was like a lot of energy had to be expended to get mm -hmm. food, yep. you know, as simple as that. We were eating much more. So, And they were probably colder more because they hadn't got the clothing we have today. And when you're yeah. colder, you burn more energy, you burn more energy, you need more calories. Yeah. 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 So the point is that uh, when we look at something like choline or omega-3 or B vitamins, what makes a brain function optimally? And we, then we say, what can I realistically eat and you go, oh my God, that's short. So you supplement the difference mm -hmm. between the optimum and what you can eat. Yeah. That's the whole point. And uh, somebody with a very similar yeah. name to yourself, Patrick Holden, not mm. to be confused, two different gentlemen if you're, yeah. war, uh, if you're listening and not watching. Patrick Holden, who was a director of the Soil Association for yeah. 20 years, yeah. taught me a new word when he, he was here the other week, and it was called hydroponics. And what yeah. he said, Steve, is if you buy in the supermarket today, yeah. a salad vegetable. So yeah. your peppers, your cucumbers, your watercress, mm -hmm. your spinach mm -hmm. and all those. Unless it says organic, they didn't even grow in soil. Right. They grew hydroponically, which yeah. is a bit like rock wall with some chemicals added yeah, in. Yeah. And they say they put some nutrients back, but of course, well, would they do they? Because that's obviously going to be very expensive. Mm -hmm. So unless we're buying organic in Great Britain, we're not getting all the yeah. vitamins and minerals yeah. and the antioxidants that we expect yeah. we're getting from the food yeah. unless we go organic. So yeah. there seems to be lots of reasons why we do need to, to, to supplement. Yeah. How many supplements today do you take different supplements? Well, I take uh, I take four, well, five. Really. Oh, I'm worried next twice I, I take a lot more than you. <laughs> yeah, so I take twice a day yeah. um, a high strength multivitamin and mineral. Yep. It doesn't have enough vitamin C. Mm -hmm. So the next thing I'm going to add is extra vitamin C. It's got a few other things, zinc, berry extracts. Um, essential fats, mainly omega-3, a little bit of omega-6. And I take uh, something called brain food, which is the phospholipids that we're mm -hmm. talking about. And I decided once I hit 50, I would up my antioxidants because my cells are becoming a bit less efficient. Mm -hmm. Antioxidants will deal with the exhaust fumes of our metabolism. So I take an antioxidant. And uh, that's what I do. I do it twice a day. And your antioxidant, so I take turmeric, is that the same benefit? Because that's quite high on the ORAC scale. I'd yes. take turmeric for that reason. Yeah, no, it's uh, yeah, it's very good. There are a few sort of interesting ones with strange names: the alpha lipoic acid, glutathione. You know, there's a whole sort of network. Mm -hmm. So it's good that you mentioned the ORAC because mm -hmm. actually you can measure the antioxidant power of a food. Antioxidants are basically, you know, when we make energy, uh, we generate oxidants. There are exhaust fumes. And an antioxidant, and the oxidants are like a fire which will damage your cells. When you cut open an apple, it goes brown, that's oxidant damage. When your skin gets burnt or you get brown spots, you get older, that's oxidant damage. And um, if you can now take a food and you can measure uh, its antioxidant power, which is called ORAC, stands for O is Oxygen Radical Absorption Capacity. So basically it's antioxidant power. Curcumin in turmeric, very, very good. Mustard is fantastic as mm -hmm. well. All the strong colors, you know, so the blueberries and the beetroot and the black currants and, you know, all that is good. 
the cacao, dark mm. chocolate is good. Cinnamon is good. Good quality. If I remember right, cinnamon was right at the top of the list, I think. Yeah, yeah no, yeah, it's, yeah. it's excellent. Yeah. Oregano is very good too. Yeah. So I grow oregano and, and have that. And then, you know, green things like artichoke and asparagus and avocado and broccoli and the red things like red lentils, red beans, red wine. Um, you know, so it's the strong colors. And it's quite nice because as you learn this, uh, you, you know, you start to just naturally, when you're making a meal or a salad, you know, you want to put in something yellow, something orange, something red, something blue, you know, something green. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it sort of, you know, becomes a, a sort of standard process. I tell you what we recently yeah. might find interesting on our not-for-profit, which yeah. is called healthdaddy.com. Yeah. Uh, we said, how do we get kids to stop eating just cereals at breakfast? Yeah. So we came up with a concept called colouring in breakfast. Right, right. And what we did, we took a, 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 a liquidizer smoothie type yeah, thing. Yeah. And we said, as long as you take fruits and yeah. berries and strawberries and so yeah, on, yeah. and try and have a different color every day. Yeah, yeah. So it makes you start thinking, well, I don't need to know how much the Oryx scale is on this, that or the other. Yeah, but yeah. if I'm going to go brown today, let's get some cocoa powder in then. Let's get some maybe some peanut butter in. Let's get other things that make a brown smoothie. Then the next yeah. day, let's go yellow, which means let's get maybe some pineapple yeah, or yeah. some lemon lemon juice or yeah. just colouring in breakfast as opposed to beige, boring, high carbohydrates. Yeah. Well, we did this, we in our, our charity, Food for the Brain, went working with schools and we used to have these open days and these kids, primary schools or whatever, to get a rainbow sticker, <laughs> you had to eat something raw, you know, that was green, orange, red, yellow, you know, blue, which they had never done. I mean, a piece of raw carrot. And I remember talking to the parents, they said, there's no way my son would do that. But they did. We well, got almost every kid, they wanted that sticker. And they would eat a pea, you know, or a carrot or whatever it happened to be. So yes, you know, getting those, but I often say, have you ever eaten three oranges in one go? No. It's difficult, yeah. you know? Have you ever drunk a glass of orange juice? Well, I used to, but I don't now. Yeah, I mean, it's so easy, isn't it? Yeah. So a glass of orange juice, three oranges. Yeah. Eat three oranges, really difficult because you never get the, the fructose, the fruit sugar, without the fibers, which slows down its release. So I, I, you know, I say don't uh, drink your fruit, mm -hmm. you know, Agreed. eat yep. your fruit. I think there's a huge difference between fruit juices and blending, yeah. isn't there? Because when you throw the whole orange in, yeah. that, at least you're gonna get some yeah. benefit. Although yeah. having sat yeah. here with a, a top dentist, uh, Dr. James uh, Gornick, yeah. a few weeks ago, yeah. uh, there is no longer orange juice or apple juice in my home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's frightening what it does for the teeth. No, it's true. The amount of sugar and... I mean, the only, my only exception to that, because the berries, their main sugar is xylose. And interesting mentioning teeth, because I was talking to a top dentist and I said, what's the one most important thing, you know, that would prevent cavities? And he would say xylose, X-Y-L-O-S. Xylitol is what it's mm -hmm. called. And um, actually in, uh, in uh, Finland, they give every child, as they come to school, a sweet. Uh, which contains xylitol, because what they've learned is that the, this sugar, uh, when bacteria in the mouth feed on it, they can't stick to your teeth. It yeah. prevents cavities. Right. So they've got the healthiest teeth from xylose. Xylose is the main sugar in berries, very high in blueberries, and it's very, very high also in um, the Montmorency cherry, which is quite a sour cherry. So my only exceptions is yes. I do, there's this, this concentrate called cherry actor, which is just pure Montmorency cherries, and there's another one called blueberry active, and I do sometimes have a shot of them. So when I was out climbing Mount Kenya uh, uh, last year, uh, and you know you want a bit more energy, a bit more antioxidants, your muscles are working hard. I'll put a shot of you know of the blueberry or cherry active in my water bottle. I call them the Fab Four berries yeah. because the berries, unlike yeah. the apples and the oranges, yes. don't convert as you say into yeah. so yeah. much of the, the bad sugar. The yeah. um, but what they the four berries and you look at the Rx scale, they're yeah. all there: strawberries, they're blackberries, all blueberries, raspberries. They're, yeah. they're all on and the scale. And then plums and cherries are also good. So those are my main fruits. I do eat apples and oranges, but if I do, I mean you know occasionally on holiday, you orange juice, but I I, I never more juice than the juice of one orange. That's good advice. Um, Great advice. Yeah. Now, I um, before we get onto your new book and you, uh, that you're currently working on, not yet gone to print, let's go back to the hybrid diet for one yeah. second. And I'm gonna ask you a question. You can say, I don't wanna answer it. Yeah. Or that might say there is no answer. Uh, so the hybrid diet, yourself and Jerome, you got together yeah. and you looked at the thing that I'm dead passionate about, which is 
low carb. Yeah. But you also looked at something you've written a lot about before, yeah. which like carbs are okay, but as long as the glycemic low, the glycemic yeah. index are low, yeah. they're not that bad for you. Which, which is the better of the two, or is that a silly question? No, it's not. And, you know, you can eat a very low carb, and this is usually below 50, you know, possibly 30 grams of carbs, high-fat diet. Um, uh, you know, that does work. You do lose weight. You do reverse diabetes. I don't think it really increases heart disease, whether it makes it better or not. It's slightly questionable. Um, and Or you can eat this more carbs, but always in a controlled amount, you know, et cetera, et cetera. They, they do both work for a lot of different, uh, you know, diseases. By the way, when you do eat a low glycemic load, slow carb diet, in a way, and this contradicts what a lot of people are doing these days, um, the idea is you have three meals and two snacks. So you're, you're never sending your blood sugar up too much, which means you keep your insulin nice and low. Now, we have lots of people who've lost a stone 7 kg a month. You know, we're talking about 70 kg wow. in 10 months. Wow. So reverse diabetes. So we know we know that works. We're trying to keep that blood sugar even. Now and nowadays, so that goes against that bit I wrote my first book, which is that whole eat little but often is completely wrong. But what yeah. you're saying is that if if you are leveling it out throughout the day, because we're now talking yes. about something that does ultimately yes. turn into sugar, yes. if you can avoid those insulin spikes exactly. by spreading it out. Exactly. Got you. And while there are other people who are saying, I'm going to do all my eating between 12 and 6, you know, I'm going to, or I'll have a 5 2 diet. So yeah. two days a week, I'll eat low yeah. calories. So anything you do that kind of cuts the amount of eating you, you do is kind of helps. But generally, in studies where they've given people, you know, two meals a day or three meals a day, uh, or don't eat until noon or whatever. Not, you know, generally what they find yeah. is that um, eating just two meals a day, people go off the rails because they get hungry. Yeah. So I've always thought that the one thing you have to do is not be hungry. Yes. Hunger is the critical thing. It doesn't matter yes. what you've decided to do. If you get hungry, you're going to do the wrong things. Gotcha. So, you know, that's that strategy. I get it. Because yeah. if you're yeah. on... Yeah, very low carb. Like yeah. I've been recently, you just don't get hungry anyway. So therefore, yeah. you can eat. Yeah, uh, you know, just once yeah. a day or sometimes twice yeah. a day because you're not getting hungry. Yeah, if you're carb burning, yeah. albeit we're trying to say to you at home, yeah. go slow releasing yeah. carbs. Yeah, you will still get hungry because they are carbs. Yeah. Therefore, on that scenario yeah. and probably that scenario only. Yeah, then eating throughout the day is a better way of doing it. Small yeah. amounts. Yeah, but it's very controlled. So yeah. in my book, it's like. 40 GLs, you actually learn exactly how to do it. So it's controlled. So then you go to the other side of the book, you know, the high fat ketogenic. I'm, I'm a bit critical about doing that with a lot of meat and a lot of dairy products because they could be uh, increasing risk of things like colorectal cancer. We, we don't know, we don't have the long-term studies and so on. Doing a high fat ketogenic diet with, with more fish, I think makes a lot more sense. Uh, you don't have to be quite so sort of dairy heavy. And once you do switch your metabolism to running on ketones, as you said, it's satisfying. You feel good. Now, what I started to realize is that um, for some people, for example, who are diabetic and are sugar addicts, when I say eat 40 GLs a day, 10 for breakfast, have your you know, oats with chia or whatever it is, um, you know, and if you have a piece of fruit, have it with some nuts, because when you provide protein, with the carb, it slows down the release of the sugars. That's a little bit like saying to an alcoholic, just three <laughs> glasses of wine a week, right? So I do think there are some people that get sugar addicted. Yeah. And in their mind, if they go, carbs are the devil, I never eat potatoes, rice, yep. pasta, yep. bread, they're out. Uh, it may work better for them mm -hmm. uh, in their recovery mm -hmm. process. Mm -hmm. But, and here's the reality, um, if you look at long-term compliance studies, they're not so good on the high-fat keto-Atkins type thing. Why? Because people go, I don't want to have a life never eating bread, pasta, <laughs> rice, you know, whatever. So it's just, you know, it's, it's, it works, you know, it works if you do that, but it is somewhat limited. So what I tend to find in the high-fat keto community is people are very evangelical. They've almost made it a religion. Um, you know, the group, you know, 
uh, demonizes all these carbs over there so they can stay on the track and do it this way. And I think food should also be fun. Yep. You know? yep. But where I get very interested, and this is you know, what I'm working on in my next book, is there is a process of massive cellular repair um, which is triggered when you fast and switch to burning body fat. It's called autophagy, means self-eating, or the Americans call it autophagy. I was going to say I pronounced it wrong. Maybe I'm pronouncing it the American way. Autophagy. It's, it's fine. Autophagy is fine. But the real way is? Well, no. I, I mean, you know, I just say autophagy because okay. the, the words are auto. Yeah. You know, think of your car. Yeah. Phagy, eating, self-eating. Yeah. Gotcha. And um, autophagy uh, can be triggered on low calories and also high fat. But it won't be triggered if you're doing a ketogenic diet with lots of meat and cheese and you're also building muscle. Because when you do weight work, mm -hmm. you're telling your body to go into a growth phase. Yes. And dairy products we know have the hormone insulin growth factor, which says growth. Mm -hmm. uh, Hence breast milk, children, Exactly, growth. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So while a high fat ketogenic diet with meat and dairy products, et cetera, you know, you will lose weight and it will reverse diabetes, will do all these things. It won't trigger autophagy, this cellular self-repair process. And uh, I find that very interesting. And then I, so I started to uh, get into the work of a man called Professor Volta Longo from California. And he has found that actually if you have five consecutive days, just five days, eating lower calories and ketogenic, very low carbs, and also low protein. There are certain things you have to not have. So his is because vegan. protein pushes growth. Growth, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You can trigger this cellular self-repair, which cleans up all your messed up energy factories called mitochondria, and it gobbles up cancer cells, and it gobbles up damaged proteins. And um, you do that for a, it's like putting your car in for a service. You don't need to do it forever. You know, it's a, it's a short, sharp, self-repair process. Wham, you know, and then you go back to eating whatever you happen to like to eat. In my case, I'd probably argue for a sort of low GL type diet, but it doesn't matter too much. But you trigger self-repair for a concentrated period of time. And we were talking in the earlier program about terrible tragedy of type two diabetes. Um, but there's about 10% of diabetes type 1, which mm -hmm. used to be called insulin-dependent mm -hmm. diabetes. The point is that the other type 2 was called non-insulin-dependent diabetes, and the insulin sellers couldn't sell insulin to somebody with a disease called non-insulin-dependent <laughs> diabetes. Right, you should never, so, ever need insulin in yeah. type 2 diabetes unless yeah. it's been really badly managed. But yeah. type 1 diabetes, autoimmune disease, where your immune system attacks, in this case, the pancreas, and you can't make insulin, rheumatoid arthritis, autoimmune attacks the joints, multiple sclerosis, autoimmune attacks the nerves. And what's happened in animal studies is when they put type 1 diabetic animals into this five-day diet designed to trigger the autophagy, the self-repair, it's actually reversed type 1 diabetes, they're making insulin again. I've never heard of anybody t returning around type 1. That's exactly. And, and they actually did this five-day process four times, so five days on, yep. nine days off, five days on. And um, there's now human studies going on. So it looks like we have built into our design the ability, when food is scarce, uh, to trigger, you know, suddenly you're not having to grow, you know, there's nothing much going on, trigger a self-repair process, uh, which is exactly what fasting does, but we can do it without fasting which has the tremendous advantage because if you do fast, you break down muscle. Um, if you total fast, mm -hmm. you don't really want, especially later in life. So we can now get the same benefit, possibly more benefit than you can get from a total fast in a concentrated five day. In other words, don't do a day a week fasting. Don't mm -hmm. do two days a week low calorie. Just have a five day period, maybe once a quarter, if you're healthy, maybe once a month if you're not, where you purposely trigger this self-repair process. It will be relatively high fat ketogenic. It will be very low carb, 
it can't have too much protein, and it will be essentially vegan. You could have a little bit of fish, perhaps. So describe what yeah. we would eat in that five days, trying yeah. to yeah. we're we trying to trigger autophagy and then keep us in that period yes. for, in that zone yes. for a while. Yes, exactly. So and what, what food? Well, would, would, let, would let's do that. sort of build a few other things in here. First of all, it takes about twelve hours of not eating to run out of your sugar stores. Your muscles store sugar as glycogen. Um, it takes about two hours of moderate aerobic exercise to run out of glycogen. So here I am on the day before, and I'm going to go for a brisk two-hour mountain walk. Okay, I'm now going to do one of the things that I like doing anyway, which is effectively an 18-hour carb fast. So I'm going to have dinner, let's say at 7, and I'll have one of my nice low-GL dinners, maybe with some beans and fish and salad or whatever it is. Um, I'm now not going to eat anything containing carbs. Um, it's six o'clock, seven o'clock until one o'clock. Now, if I wake up in the morning and I've already driven my glycogen down a lot, I'm going to go for a little walk in the morning, not a lot. I don't want to trigger muscles now, but I'm going to walk around the block sort of thing. I'm then going to have a breakfast, which is in fact what, what I did today. And I call it my hybrid latte. By the way, the reason the book is hybrid is because it's like electric or petrol. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to turn off the glucose engine you know, and turn on the ketone engine. So in my hybrid latte this morning, I had um, half a shot of coffee because coffee will actually help trigger the process. I had some uh, carb-free almond milk. I had a big blob, like a heaped dessert spoon or tablespoon of almond butter. Almond is very low in carbs, very high in fat. Um, I had a teaspoon of raw cacao, chocolate, but no sugar. I had a liberal sprinkling of cinnamon, and I had a shot of what's called keto fast, but it's it's um, C8 oil. Now, just before we go, I need to explain this. Is that something um, to do with MCT coconut, yeah. is it? Fats are chains of carbons. Like olive oil is 14 carbons long, for example. And coconut contains between six carbons, <clears throat> C6, C8, C10, C12. You can, and it's, let's say half of it is that, um, because it has other fats as well. And um, when you buy MCT oil or medium chain triglycerides, it's C6, C8, C10, C12. But what the research shows without a shadow of a doubt that what the body uses to make ketones the fastest is specifically C8. So a subfraction of coconut oil. Okay. And you can buy this. So I put a tablespoon of this C8 oil, Ketofast, in my smoothie, hit the button, whiz it up. That's what I had today mm -hmm. for breakfast. And, and now I haven't eaten. Now, um, so I've got no carbs, but I'm feeling good. I've mm -hmm. got plenty of energy. Now, mid-morning, uh, I'm a little peckish, maybe. I'm going to have a sort of pretty much zero-carb snack. I'm actually going to use either, um, this called Sea Veg Crispies. There's a company called Clear Spring. They're very nice. Have you had them? They're like these roasted nori oh, sheets. Oh, the sheets. Yeah. The green ones. Yeah. The, 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 I've, <clears throat> my kids say they're seaweed, but probably not. But. Yeah, no, they are. Yeah, okay. and so I eat them. Yeah. Um, or I could have um, kale crisps. Oh, I love kale crisps. Right? Yeah. And I'll have a few olives, because yeah. actually kale and olives and the seaweed is already triggering autophagy. Then I'm going to have a lunch. Now it's admittedly small. Uh, it could be today like asparagus omelette with some kimchi. Mm -hmm. Kimchi is fermented cabbage, you know, very, very low, whatever. Yeah, we've got a, a certain shake that we have sort of mid-afternoon, and then I'm going to have, a, again, a very, very low gel dinner. And um, <clears throat> I found this, um, these lovely sort of desserts. Uh, a company's called Nibble Protein, and the lemon coconut one. They're just tiny little sort of bite. But I'm going to have that at the end of the day, right? <laughs> And then, of course, what happens is when people go ketogenic, especially low calories, they, they often get more constipated, you know, because where do you get yeah. all that fiber from? Yeah. So have you heard of cognac and glucomannan? I have indeed. Yeah, I mean, oats and chia are soluble fibers. They absorb uh, yeah. water, mm -hmm. about 10 times uh, as much, you know, water. Um, Glucomannan can take up to 50 times its own weight. 100 times. 100 times. Yeah, yeah. it's wow, phenomenal. It's incredible. It comes from a Japanese plant. Yeah. So I Conjac get, plant. Yeah, yeah. conjac plant, yeah. exactly. 
And um, so I make a drink uh, with vitamin C. Yep. In fact, it's a scorbate, so like magnesium and scorbate mm -hmm. zinc. So there's other things in there, but it's basically vitamin C and glucomannan. And it's a little bit thicker than water. And people are drinking that throughout the day, getting loads of fiber. So it helps the elimination. And of course, when you are doing a modified fast, this is 800 calories a day. Uh, what happens is, as you start to burn your body fat, you are liberating toxins because fat cells store toxins. So all those pesticides right. and yeah. herbicides that the liver can't get rid of, it sticks in your yeah. fat cells. So yeah. I want lots of antioxidants. Right. So there's a few supplements thrown in there so as well. Let me, yeah. let me pick on yeah. two things you've said there. Yeah. Then. So I'm on a five day fast at the moment, mm. but I've done zero food. So I do apologize if yeah. I smell a bit breathy with my ketosis. Hadn't noticed. Uh, thank you. Um, is there a danger then with my no eating that I'm actually the opposite to detoxifying in that I'm releasing from my fat stores some toxins where, because part of my yeah. my motivation for doing a long fast is detoxification, but yes. maybe I'm doing well, the wrong thing. The point is you're, you're detoxifying, but your liver might have run out of the nutrients it needs to deal with these toxins. So in other words, even to supplement, for example, an antioxidant, Yep. and vitamin C. I have my turmeric every morning yeah. and vitamin C. You know, so yeah. so, so that, that's going to help the process. But yeah. I find on fast, a lot of people uh, on about day three start to feel really sluggish. It was just day three that happened yeah. to me. Yeah, and then day four, five, yeah. they feel better. Yeah. And it's called a healing crisis. And I think it's just a crisis. I think it's the point at which the body does not have the nutrients to support the liver to detoxify. So what's fascinating is in recent studies, they've actually compared five-day water fast with the five-day type process that I'm talking about. Um, and uh, there was one study on, on um, uh, inflammatory bowel disease. So think Crohn's, ulcerative mm -hmm. colitis. And the five-day diet that I'm describing um, caused a reversal of the pathology. Wow. But the five-day water fast didn't. Interesting. Now, the interesting thing is that this sort of process, that's what I'm writing about at the moment, it's going to be called the five-day diet. Um, I, I took 14 people, some diabetic, some autoimmune, most overweight, etc. They did this. Uh, they, no one felt hungry. Um, they all went into ketosis, so we're measuring their blood, yeah. within 24 hours. Wow. Everyone in ketosis within 24 hours. Wow. Uh, we had... Uh, you know, when you your sugar is stored as glycogen in your mm -hmm. muscles, and that is sugar plus quite a lot of water. So one of the cheats in the Atkins-type diet was after a week, suddenly you've lost a lot of weight. But actually, if you switch to ketones, you burn your glu glu glucogen, you lose water. Mm -hmm. So there's a cheat yep. you know, of a few pounds. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure, because I've, yeah. I've lost so much in the last five days yeah. that practically it's impossible yeah. to have lost that much yeah. weight. So um, you'll put that back. Yeah. So we then measured people's weight, not at the end of five days. We then reloaded them with carbs mm -hmm. to get their glycogen stored back and then measured their weight. And we were just shy of 40 people of 35 kilograms. So we lost like half a person, <laughs> uh, you know, which is sort of getting towards three kilos each. Right. It's about seven pounds. Half yeah, a stone. yeah. Yeah. Wow. And on the calorie equation, it should have been 10 or 11 kilos. Right. Okay. And people's energy went up. Their mm -hmm. mental health went up. Mm -hmm. You know, their, um, their sleeping improved. You know, so much happened. And then there's a very interesting effect. Which is you then go back to, if you wish, you know, low GL diet. Mm -hmm. If you happen to really like eating high fat keto, you know, if you wish to do that, you do that. But in the following week, people had absolute burst of energy fantastic so it's like you've you've switched off the carb engine yeah. you're running on ketones but you've yeah. triggered autophagy Brilliant. you've got a mot for yeah. your body and then suddenly you know you wake up again so that's and this I, is all in the new book all in the new book the and five day diet the yeah. five day diet yeah and let me just summarize what i think you're saying yeah. is you don't do what I'm doing currently, which is no food. You yeah. eat the right foods that, yeah. that get you into ketosis. Yeah. So it's a it's a it's a low calorie day. So yes. What, five, 800, 800 calories, calories a yeah. day, um, but it's the right eight hundred calories yes. a day. And it's very paced. 
So yeah. you don't need to feel hungry. Yeah. Um, it's got lots of detoxing antioxidants, so yeah. you don't need to get that yeah. third day slump. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's like sticking your body in for a service. And am I right, am I right in, in saying that, because I've said this a few times in a few books I've written, I want to make sure I've got this right for the next one. It's kind of in layman's terms, your body's either metabolizing food. So if you're eating growth. all the time, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. growing. Yeah. And while you're in growth mode, you can't be in repair mode. Exactly. So therefore, you yeah. need to have periods yeah. where you go into repair mode. Is, exactly. that, is that a good way of saying it? It's exactly that. Yeah. Growth, like, repair, growth, repair, growth, repair. Yeah. And because I've been taught, rightly or wrongly, that it's very important to protect your muscles as you get older, yeah. so we can yeah, look yeah, after yeah. our joints yeah. and, and yeah. get about the chair and so on. Yeah. And I'm in my 50s, I want to be around for my grandchildren. Um, so I'm pretty paranoid about maintaining my muscles. Yeah. But can I pick up on something you said there, that while I'm fasting right now, I'm damaging my muscles? Because I thought that when I had so much body fat, the last thing I would lose is muscle because I'd be going for the, you know, the autophagy and everything, we'd be using the fat before the muscles? It's not quite like that because you can turn protein into glucose. And even when you're ketogenic, running mainly on fats, you always have a background of some glucose. Mm -hmm. And the protein breakdown is to create that glucose. Um, that, that's gonna happen. Yep. And uh, you, you know, I mean, just to sort of put this in context, the average person over 40 is losing half a pound of muscle mass a year, mm -hmm. you know, if they are not absolutely doing muscle building exercise. Yeah. So during this five days, you have no more than 25 grams of protein, but already that sort of 20 grams of protein is encouraging your body not to break down your muscle. Gotcha. You do a small amount of aerobic exercise, just enough to tell your muscles that you still love them. Yes, yes. And you probably won't get any breakdown of muscle mass mm -hmm. during those five days. Gotcha. If you fast completely, you probably will. So that is another potential advantage from a complete fast. Gotcha. And in that period, other than walking, we should yeah. probably avoid the weight training in that bit. Avoid the weight training. Because then you're back into exactly. uh, building yeah, rather yeah, than yeah, autophagy. Yeah, because there's two processes. There's autophagy. Yeah. And then there's the triggering of something called mTOR, which we mm -hmm. call the fat controller. Mm -hmm. And as soon as mTOR is on, you're back into growth. So we know that dairy products will do it. We know that meat will do it. We know that resistance training, muscle building will switch on mTOR, yeah. switch off autophagy. Now, I'm not completely yeah. up with mTOR, but is yeah. it like uh, mTOR is to protein what insulin is to carbohydrate and sugars, or is that too simplistic? It's too simplistic, and it, and it, but it, it's certainly, you know, it's in that territory. It's very, it's very, um, I mean, there have been drugs that have developed to switch off mTOR because it equals growth on the idea that that means no more cancer. Yes. But uh, it's, it's had all sorts of terrible side effects and things. So th the point is the body is super intelligent. You're quite right that insulin is a critical intelligent hormone. Um, I mentioned the methylation that's mm -hmm. going on. We've got the mTOR autophagy process going on. And every time uh, the drug companies, because they can you know, block something, patent something, mm -hmm. mess up something. Mm -hmm. It just has this ricochet of side effects. Yeah, we have yeah, to step yeah. back and say, you know, what is the design of our body? What are we designed to eat? How are we designed to live? Even if we are now in a different kind of world with a lot of information and so on, we, we can adapt understanding those principles. But what you don't do is dive in there and just take something that stops you making stomach acid, which is absolutely vital, yes. or something that stops you making cholesterol, yeah. you know, which is which is absolutely vital. We have to have a sort of a, I'll, I'll give you a new word as well, which I really like. Um, you know, we have diagnosis, which is what disease have you got, but there is actually a Greek word called epignosis. Epignosis. You've probably heard of epigenetics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, we had genetics, your genes, how they control your body, but epi is the environment. What, for example, when women have the BRCA gene, which mm -hmm. increases their risk of breast cancer, 50% mm -hmm. of women with a BRCA gene get breast cancer, 50% don't. Mm -hmm. And the question is, well, why do that 50% not get it? Mm -hmm. And the answer is the environment 
around the cell or the gene, the epi, the environment mm -hmm. outside. So we've learned that soya actually switches off or turns down the BRCA gene. Wow. Dairy products might turn it up. Wow. So, it, so there is a word called epignosis, which actually means what's the cause of the disease? Yes. Not what disease have you got, got what but what's actually driving it. And, and let's it, all try and get into prevention, not cure, because exactly. that's, that's the holy grail, yeah, isn't until it? Until we look at the cause of these yeah. problems, we're never solving them. Patrick, it's been absolutely delightful talking to you. Again, the name of the new book is? Uh, the Five Day Diet. And that's coming out 2020, yep. uh, what month? In May. In May. Uh, and the final sign-off I, I do with most brilliant doctors and professors and everybody's, um, what would the legacy of Patrick Holford be? What would you like to leave behind as a legacy? Well, I would really like uh, this whole topic of nutrition to become center stage. And already, and I, I've kind of seen this, that supplements not based on RDA, but yeah. actually based on optimum levels. I would love it. And we so need this stuff to be taught in school. We learn history, we learn yeah. geography, we learn maths, and we yeah. never learn how our body works. Well, we'd yeah. like this stuff taught to our doctors, because sadly, oh, yes. you know, five years of studying less than a couple of days is on nutrition. It's true. So let's teach yeah. it to the doctors, let's teach it to the teachers. And uh, by the way, you look fabulous. So whatever you're doing, whatever Patrick's doing, we all should be doing. Thank you for your time. And Pleasure. I know you're back off to sunny Wales. That's Have right. a great retreat for the next few days. Thank you. Thank you, Patrick. Cheers. If you enjoyed this podcast, then why not subscribe to the full series so you can hear from all the incredible health professionals we spoke to. Before you go, though, visit Amazon today and pick up your copy of Fats and Furious by Steve Bennett. And as a thank you for being a subscriber, we'll even give you a third off. Simply use the discount code FFPODCAST and you'll get the full story featuring all 23 medical professionals.